There was a driving game that people used to play when fuel and lettuce prices were in the cents and not the dollars. The passengers and the driver would set off for a drive with a tank full of fuel and a coin in the hands of one of the passengers. As they set off to the upcoming intersection, the passenger would flip a coin. Heads, they'd turn right. Tails, they'd go left. And as long as none of the passengers ended up with a full bladder or car sick, it was an enjoyable, if not an adventurous day out. While great for taking a day's drive, if that's, um, imagine if you lived life like that. Turning up to work, toss a coin. Do I go? Do I not? Wearing of clothes and what clothes would I wear? Toss a coin. Entering and exiting into and out of relationships, all based on the toss of a coin. Today, we'll discover some key ways to make good decision-making. Let me pray. Jesus, as we delve into your word once again, we recognise that this too has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, that your word from cover to cover brings out truths to us even today. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to be open to the things that you want to say to us and that we would be encouraged and have our relationship deepened with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Sam um, invited us to consider how we might make good decisions when it comes to work and wealth and in, in, in what do we find security. If you missed it, then I want to encourage you to check it out in one of our recordings. Today, we widen our field of view and wrestle with the fragility of our plans and how we live life well by making wise decisions about our future. In the New Testament, James writes punchy paragraphs that, that make the reader stop and think what he has to say about a variety of different topics. And here James speaks about planning for the future in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's here for a little while and then gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. So like a miner fossicking for nuggets of treasure, what can we discover as we look at wisdom through the ages when it comes to making good decisions? If you have your Bibles with you, then I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16, as we look at wisdom through the ages. And we find that in chapter 16 of Proverbs, there's a great launching pad for us to explore how we hold the process of decision making and the future. 
The first thing we discover in Proverbs 16 is in Proverbs 16 verse 1 is the importance of decision-making alignment and the sovereignty of God. Proverbs 16 verse 1 says this, We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. We can spend a lot of time planning for the future, studying at uni, entering into relationships, making decisions regarding employment. We can and we do make our own plans based on all sorts of factors, don't we? Checks and balances, maybe lists and the pros and the cons and one side versus the other and whichever side is longer, well, that must be the way that we go. Or we can even toss a coin. But the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 16 verse 1 acknowledges that while we can make our plans, there is benefit and blessing in seeing those plans aligned with the will of Yahweh God. Part of our belief as followers of Jesus is that we believe in God and it's not some sort of a God that is a magic eight ball God that, that we shake through prayer to get a yes or a no answer. Rather, we believe in God who is all-knowing and is also all-loving. If we believe both of those things, then the undeniable conclusion is that God wants what is best for us. So when we align our will with the will, the wisdom and the love of God who gives the right answer, then we and the decisions we make are all the better because of it. Decision alignment with God's sovereignty makes for the best possible outcomes. But that decision does not mean that God cannot redeem bad decisions. We can see this in the life of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph was a bit of a cocky lad who, had, who ended up getting too big for his coat of many colours and he ended up ticking off his brothers in the process. A last minute save from certain death saw him sold as a slave to Egypt. There a roller coaster of events took place and revenge against Joseph was out, uh, outworked and then redemption continued in Joseph's life. Then came a day when Joseph squared off with those who sent him to Egypt, his brothers. Joseph saw that there were times, not all the time, but sometimes that even through decision alignment when it's wrong, God's sovereign answer is still always right. Joseph speaks to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. So while God can redeem bad decisions, it's better not to make them in the first place. That's why the writer of Proverbs calls in um, verse 3 to commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. 
That's not asking God to save you from a speeding ticket because you're running late for an appointment. Committing your actions to the Lord is about praying that your actions will be aligned with God's will. Just as Jesus taught his first followers to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Success may not look like the way we envisaged it, but aligning our hearts with God's will help us to see God's best come to pass in our life. But Proverbs also reminds us that we can positively bias for good decisions and a promising future over destructive and detrimental futures that can be in our, in our way if we choose the wrong thing. That's where having a good moral compass is so important. Proverbs 16 puts it like this in verses 17 and 18. The path of a virtuous lead, uh, the, the path of the virtuous leads away from evil. Whoever follows the path is safe. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Now let me ask you, for those who are parents here or, or watching, a simple question. Did you have to teach your children to do the wrong thing or the right thing? In my 50 years of life, I have never met a parent who ever complained about how difficult it was, how hard it was, how much effort they had to put into teaching their children to do the wrong thing. How to be naughty, how to be selfish. The writer of Proverbs recognises that pride and haughtiness or arrogance are self-focused biases and they come naturally to each of us, to children. That I'm the centre of the universe, that I'm smarter than, that I know what I'm doing or it's just simply, I just want my way. Being driven by desire or fear can have us discount the negative long-term impact of things for short-term benefits. But the writer of Proverbs in chapter 16, verse 17, calls us to be led by a moral compass or a virtue that guides us without being determined by self-serving, self-promoting behaviour. That doesn't mean that there will be no rewards for good decision-making, but the rewards, uh, but if the rewards are what drives us, if we are driven by and focused on only the rewards, then beware. Those rewards can be like a magnet near a compass that sets desires off track. After all, Proverbs 16 verse 25 recognises that we must look beyond the superficial and the immediate. There is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death, but it ends in death. And isn't that a challenge when it comes to decision-making? We look at something, we assess it, and it seems like a good decision, that it's going to give these benefits or these positive outcomes, only to have it snap back like an elastic band and we feel the sting of a decision that's gone wrong. 
This is where having checks and balances to help our decision making is so very important. They are like an external compass rather than just solely relying on an internal compass. In the days of the writer of Proverbs, decisions were often made by committing, um, the committing of a decision, not necessarily a right or a wrong decision, but if I've got two good options before me, which one should I decide to do, um, which one is best, they would decide them sometimes through the urim and thummim, or a, the rolling of the dice, or the casting of lots. We see this in the writer's reference to dice in verse 33 of Proverbs 16. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Urim and Thummim were two objects, possibly stones, which sat in a pocket or a pouch um, within the left side of the high priest's chest piece. In Exodus 28 verse 30, it describes it in this way. Insert the Urim and Thummim into the sacred chest piece so that they will be carried over Aaron's heart when he goes into the, present, into the Lord's presence. In this way, Aaron will always carry over his heart the objects used to determine the Lord's will for his people whenever he goes in before the Lord. In the passage that Paul read earlier, for us in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26, we read of the 11 disciples who were trying to decide who to appoint um, as a replacement for Judas. They set a general criterion, which narrowed it down to two promising candidates, Joseph and Matthias. Then they all prayed and they all asked for God's guidance in deciding which of these two good candidates they should select. Then finally, they cast lots and Matthias was chosen. One of the important things to note is that this decision-making process was prior to or before Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came to reside in the succession of people who would call Jesus um, number one in their life. Following Pentecost, there is a shift that is demonstrating more of an internal dialogue that would take place between the person um, or the group of people and the Holy Spirit. But the internal voice is not always clear and decisive. Sometimes decision-making or discerning God's will can come through testing and trying, gaining a sense of peace about what we believe God might be saying to us to do. The challenge is, and as I've already alluded to, that sometimes an internal compass can be subjective rather than objective. That's where having an external compass is helpful. Having trusted people in your life that you can speak to is so important. They become like an external compass to us. The problem is that there are times in our life when we, we want our own desire so much, it's like that magnet, that we exclude others because we want to do our own thing. We know that talking with someone else will bring about a challenge that we're not prepared to accept. But Paul and Silas in Acts 16 set an example of how to discern God's heart 
and make good decisions. In Acts 16, verses 6 to 10, we read this. Next, Paul and Silas travelled through the area of Phrygia, Phrygia, sorry, and Galatia, because the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. They came to the borders of Mysia, and they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Now, were Paul and Silas making good decisions about sharing the good news of Jesus? Of course they were. That's a good thing to do. Their desire to share God's love with others is consistent with the great commission that is given to us even today. But then why did God prevent them from going into some of these other areas? Well, we don't really know. But what we do know is that as a result of Paul having this vision, this this internal voice, an experience that he believed was from God. And rather than telling Silas and Luke that this is what we're going to do, I've got the vision, I'm setting the direction, this is what we're doing. He invited them into this conversation. He invited them to test, to join with him in deciding what to do. Together, they discerned that heading in this future direction was right. Today, we do well to invite trusted Christians into decisions that we might be making where our own desires could cloud our internal compass. When we're not sure or when we sense the leading comes in a new or a different way that we're not used to, that can be a great time to invite, invite trusted Christians in to help us explore and test that. Their care and concern for us and their desire to honour God can help test and confirm and, and or even appropriately challenge those decisions. They can be our external compass. We recognise that when it comes to decisions about the future, aligning these with the heart of God is essential. We do this by committing these decisions to God in prayer. We recognise that checking these decisions against our internal and with the support of an external compass is crucial. We also recognise that there is a lot that we cannot control in life. In the New Testament, for Paul and Silas, they wanted to go north and share the good news, but that was out of their control. Joseph didn't want to go to Egypt, but that was outside of his control. There are even times when we believe God is telling us something, but the timing is wrong. Instead of waiting, we decide to take control of the situation ourselves and force an outcome. And that's what happened to Moses. Thousands of years after the event, Stephen, a follower of Jesus, summarises this account in Moses' life beautifully in Acts chapter 7 verses 23 to 30. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, 
he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defence and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realise that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? The man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who are you? Uh, Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. Trying to take control of an external situation, being um, impatient and trying to force something to happen can have us set aside like Moses was, hopefully not for 40 years, but have, um, have God set us aside so that he can do some character work in us before God reintroduces us back into the role that he had intended for us. Sometimes we can be impatient when it comes to decisions of the future. And that's where the final proverb is so important. So often we can try and take control of externalities, external things in life. But the writer of Proverbs encourages us to focus on what we can control. What can we control? We can control us. Proverbs 16.32 Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. And isn't this an area that we most want to push against? We want to. We demand to control the stuff that's going on out there. We fight for it. We can even conspire towards it. But those decisions expose something of a greater importance, our need to control the stuff in here. The stuff in here. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city rather than forcing things to be our way. Better, a better way is to work on those internal drivers, those things that we can control. And that's where waiting, while at times so very hard, is so very important. Because when we get the internal stuff aligned with God's heart, it makes the external stuff easier to engage with. So, are there decisions that you are making or need to make? Rather than just flipping a coin, perhaps wisdom of the ages past has something to say to us today. Let me pray.
Jesus, we thank you for truth. We thank you for truth that echoes down the corridors of time, that lands with us today. The truth of the importance of aligning the decisions that we make with your will by committing them to you. And we thank you that your plans are always right. We also thank you that even when we make wrong decisions, that they are not beyond the realms of your ability to redeem them. Lord, we thank you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we have this internal compass that can help us to make good decisions. But we also recognise, Jesus, that there are times in our life that desire can cloud out those judgments and hearing from you. Help us to be able to engage with those around us that are trusted, that have a love for you and a love for us that can be an external compass for us. And Lord, while we wait for those decisions to come to fruition, as we wait for the outcome, help us to control that which is most important, our own character, our own behaviour, in the way that we engage those things that we face. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we respond today? Well, there's a few things that I'd encourage you to consider. How are you going aligning the different decisions that you're making with the all-knowing and the all-loving heart of God? How do these decisions align with your internal moral compass? Is the decision leading you towards life or death? Does part of your, um, your relationship with God die as a result of this decision? How might you involve your, internal, your external compass, trusted Christian friends to speak into your life? If your approach is to exclude them, then perhaps that needs to be a warning sign that your desires are ruling your decision. And lastly, what is God wanting you to do to grow in character in these times of decision and in these times of waiting? Rather than focusing on controlling the stuff out there, what might God be saying to you about growing in your own self-control, the control of the stuff in here? There's going to be some music played. I encourage you to take out those response cards or for those at home to use the chat function to respond to the things that God might be saying to you today. God bless you.